Good morning. It's good to see everyone today. I'll tell you that next week we will begin sermon series in the book of Colossians. We'll begin Colossians and that will take us into next spring. But today we come to our final sermon in our series dealing with gospel communication. Now, conflict is a natural part of our communication. I was doing some premarital counseling this week and the couple said that they don't have any conflict. Just wait. But I think there's a temptation that some of us have to to think of conflict as sort of the put up your dukes fight. Conflict is more pervasive, more uh, natural uh, than that. So as we speak of uh, gospel communication, it is appropriate for us to consider conflict, confrontation, and what the gospel has to say about it. As we in the body of Christ consider our confrontations, it is important for us to know that uh, the way we view confrontation says much. Not, Not just the way we view confrontation, the way we approach it says much about what Jesus has done and is doing in our hearts. Today we're going to look to Matthew chapter 5, one verse, verse 9. Look to it in the context of the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. But as I prepare to read that verse, let us let's go to the Lord in prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, this is your word. I pray your word would do its work in our hearts, that it would not return void. That through your word you would bring conviction from your spirit. That you would, in the wake of conviction, bring comfort by your Spirit, as you point us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do this, we pray, in His name. Amen. Friends, this is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the Word of the Lord. Amen. Herm Edwards is currently coaching the Arizona State football team, but he's probably more well-known for his time in the NFL. He coached various teams, the Jets, the Chiefs, and he is beloved by the media and by fans, mostly for what we've come to know as Hermisms. (laughs) He's immensely quotable. And one Sunday afternoon in the post-game press conference, while... Uh, coaching the Jets, he was asked a, a question and, and he answered, you play to win the game. You play to win the game. Now, that little soundbite has been repeated oftentimes and he even went on to write a book with that title. See, for Herm, there was no other purpose or reason to play the game than to win. You could think of it as a win-at-all-cost approach. 
on the other end of the pendulum swing, you might know about upward sports. My kids played upward basketball when they were kids. It's a fine organization, well-meaning, a lot of great lessons to learn. But the thing that drove my kids nuts is that in upward basketball, you don't keep score. So what's the point? There's no resolution to the game. It's merely go have some fun and play. No winners, no losers. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you play the sports that you play? Why do you engage in communication? Why do you engage in confrontation? Why are you doing what you are doing? As I said, confrontation can be something very simple. As simple as what are our dinner plans tonight? Confrontation can also be much more serious and relationship threatening. And so we all need to consider, what does the gospel have to say about this confrontation? How are we approaching it? Does the gospel point us to more of the the Herm Edwards approach, win at all costs, you play to win the game? Or is it the upward approach? Just go have fun. Maybe the gospel points us to neither. Maybe instead, definitely instead, the gospel would point us to reconciliation, to approaching our confrontation with the call to reconcile, to to make peace. That's a truth found throughout the Word of God. So we could look to any number of places. Today we're going to, we are looking at uh, Matthew 5, 9. It is one of the Beatitudes found in the Sermon on the Mount. And so as we look at this one verse, it's important for us to look at it in the context of the whole. And so as we start, I, I want us to consider the context of the Sermon on the Mount. The, the Sermon on the Mount is... Uh, is a sermon that Jesus preached. It is Him teaching us what life is to be like in the kingdom of God. He's telling us that life in the kingdom of God is to be lived as a pattern of Christ-likeness. You have no doubt heard the Beatitudes. They, uh, They all start with this formula of blessed. Blessed are those who... And when Jesus is offering these Beatitudes, He's telling us what He is like. He's telling us what the pattern of Christ's likeness is to be. And in so doing, through the Beatitudes, He's telling us how we are to live. Let me emphasize. He's telling us how we are to live the Christian life. Not how we are to become Christians. There's, a, there's actually a, a vast difference between the two. Uh, some of us are tempted to read the Beatitudes as if they are a, a series of if-then statements. In other words, you will be blessed if you do X, and then you'll be blessed in this way. As if Jesus is telling us the reward to come for certain behaviors, but that is to miss the point. Jesus is not telling us how to become a Christian in the Beatitudes. He's telling us how to live as a Christian. 
Martin Luther talked about this as he explored the, the Sermon on the Mount. He said that Christ is saying nothing in this sermon about how we're to become Christians, but only about the works and fruit that no one can do unless he is a Christian and already in a state of grace. So, if you are in Christ, this will be a pattern for your behavior. And though we are focused on Matthew 5, 9, and blessed are the peacemakers, it is important for us to understand that as Jesus offers these beatitudes, He's telling us that the pattern of Christ-likeness is following all of the beatitudes. Not to pick and choose our favorite verse. The beatitudes are not sort of a, a menu that we choose from. I'll take one of verse 5, one of verse 8. I'll skip over 6, 7, and 9. And we've got to acknowledge that oftentimes that's our temptation in the Christian life. To compartmentalize portions of God's Word that we adhere to and portions that maybe are for other people but we're going to skip over. There is no compartmentalization in the kingdom of God. All Christians are to put on all characteristics found in this sermon. And so as we consider the Beatitudes, it helps us to know that verse 9 builds on verse 8. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart will be peacemakers. And verse 8 builds on verse 7, blessed are the merciful. Do you see the progression? Mercy. Pure in heart. Peacemaking. This is how Jesus is telling us that we are to live the Christian life. Now, I hope you are grasping something as we talk about this. That Jesus is he's setting a pretty high bar. A high bar that is in fact unattainable apart from Christ. We are dependent holy on Jesus to live a Christ-like life. That is the pattern of Christ-like living, of kingdom living that we see. But understand with this high bar, there also comes blessing. We'll get to those blessings in a moment. But for now, I want us to focus in on verse 9 and the description of the peacemaker. Uh, if, if we have a pattern for the kingdom life, this verse gives us the call in kingdom conflict as the goal of peacemaking. D- do you know what the Enneagram is? I see some smiles, I see some confusing looks. <laughs> The Enneagram is a, is a personality test, a personality tool, sort of akin to the, the Myers-Briggs that some of you may, uh, may know about. The, the Enneagram has a series of numbers, and they, they assign the personality traits to a series of numbers. Last fall, uh, Anna and I went and spent an afternoon with the Bagleys. And as we were together, they, they pulled out the Enneagram book. And for fun, thought, hey, let's, let's do this personality test. So uh, I think uh, Jerry asked us all the questions. We wrote down our answers. And at the end of it, I found my Enneagram number. 
He goes by numbers. Uh, said I was a one, uh, which is a perfectionist, which I don't really love and know that I agree with, but yeah, whatever. Uh, that night, um, Anna and I were back home, and you know, we were in the kitchen. We uh, were doing some chores. I, I think we were cooking or cleaning up. And, and so Anna was reading through the, the description of these, uh, these Enneagram numbers. You know, we've, we've, we've been labeled, so what does this mean for us? And, uh, and then there was a moment where we just burst out laughing because she read that the number one, the perfectionist, um, can't stand for the dishwasher to be out of order. And we realized that at that moment, I was rearranging the dishwasher because <laughs> it was out of order. Look, we're not talking about a personality tool here. We're not talking about the Beatitudes as if they were uh, a, a label, uh, as if they are the Enneagram. Um, they are not the gospel, so what's the point? Well, there actually are some lessons that the Enneagram illustrates for us in this call of the peacemakers. Uh, one of them is what the Beatitudes are not. The Beatitudes are not a test to see what personality type we are. You see number nine on the Enneagram? It's the peacemaker. The peacemaker is one of the personality types on the Enneagram. And, and for those of us uh, who are into this, there's a temptation for us to then superimpose that onto the Beatitudes and say, okay, there's a certain personality type that has a disposition towards making peace. So being a peacemaker is appropriate for those people, not for me. I get a pass. I'll focus on verse 4. No. No, that is not what is going on. That is not what Jesus is saying. He's not offering us a personality test here. He's telling us that to be a follower of Jesus is to be a peacemaker. So there's a contrast with the Enneagram, but let me also uh, make a connection. Uh, there are some uh, Christian spiritual roots to this test, and particular book that um, Jeff and Jerry had shared with me uh, distinguishes in each of these personality types an unhealthy version and a healthy version. So there's an unhealthy peacemaker and a healthy peacemaker. Now that is the book's way of capturing something of a redeemed personality type because all of us have a personality type and that in our unredeemed state, unregenerate state, takes on one form, but God is redeeming all of our lives. So let's think about this unhealthy and healthy version of the peacemaker, as the Enneagram would put it. The unhealthy version of the peacemaker is essentially a peacekeeper. The peacekeeper avoids conflict at all cost. The peacekeeper defines peace as the absence of conflict. Why might that be and why is it unhealthy? Well, it comes out of passivity. It comes out of fear. It comes out of 
being more concerned about what other people's other people think about me than about moving towards reconciliation. It's the unhealthy peacemaker. But on the other hand, there is a healthy peacemaker. The healthy peacemaker actively pursues peace. Defining that peace not merely as the absence of conflict, but a state of reconciliation. You see, the healthy peacemaker confronts for the purpose of reconciliation. Look, the the Enneagram is a helpful illustration in the unhealthy and healthy versions of the peacemaker, but let's leave it aside for a moment. We are talking about growth in Christlikeness. We're talking about sanctification. And so if you are in Christ, you are to be growing in Christ in any number of ways. And this morning we're focused on growing in Christ in terms of our call to be peacemakers. So as we grow in Christ, one of the ways that we grow is that we look inward at our own sin patterns so that we can put them to death. When you look inward at your own temptations when it comes to the call to be a peacemaker, what do you find? What is your approach when seeking peace? Is it the, is it the Herm Edwards approach? Is it win? Is that your goal in, in conflict? To win the battle? Could it be more of the upward approach? Look, I'm not totally knocking upward. But is it the upward approach? The, the avoidance? The... Let's just all be happy approach. Whatever those sin patterns are, when at all costs, avoidance, they share something in common. Self-focus. Both ultimately a self-centered approach to communication and conflict. So look to your particular sin pattern and repent. Repent. Bring it before the Lord and ask that He would take it, that He would do, continue to do a work of redemption in your heart so that you might grow in Christ-likeness. Friends, we grow in Christ-likeness by lo- in this context of peacemaking by lovingly entering into conflict with the goal of making peace through reconciliation. And this all for the glory of God. That's our call. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Uh, practically, how do we go about doing this? Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, British, uh, famous British pastor, offers some practical help. Just very simple, basic help as we think about entering into confrontation, conflict for the point of peacemaking. Uh, the first step he would offer is this. Learn to listen. Learn to listen. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 tell us this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. First step and 
approaching confrontation with a purpose of reconciliation is this, is to lead with listening. Lead with listening so that we might listen to know the other person. But in listening to know the other person, we're also listening to know our own heart. We need to take a moment to listen to what's going on in our own heart before we engage in speech. Number one, learn not to speak. Number two, think. Think about how you are to view this particular situation in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we think about how to view this situation, this conflict in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're to ask ourselves, is there a sin struggle involved for myself, for the other person? What is the Holy Spirit revealing in that sin struggle? How is God to bring glory to Himself in this situation? How is He changing me? How is He changing the other person? How is He bringing glory to Himself? Think about the situation before speaking in light of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Third, We've listened, we've thought, now we engage. Positively look to make peace. Take the initiative. Peacemakers are not passive. Peacemakers initiate. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus is is talking about the priority of peace and says that if you find yourself at the altar in worship and realize that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. Seek reconciliation. Then come back. Do you understand that Jesus is telling us a couple of things? Number one, He's telling us that the peacemaker initiates. The peacemaker doesn't wait for the other to come to Him. And then second, He's telling us that there is a priority to our reconciliation, that that priority seeks reconciliation so that our worship is unhindered. Engage. The peacemaker engages lovingly. Number four, always spread peace by living with a peaceable Spirit. Let's think about that for just a moment. Just as Jesus offers here the Beatitudes, and it is not a menu item for us to choose, I'll take this and that and leave this alone. Later in Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit, which is also a picture of the Christ like life. And the fruit of the Spirit is meant to uh, be found in all Christians to a greater and growing degree. What are the fruits of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Again, not a menu item. These are this is the fruit. They are individual characteristics, but they are brought all together. We spread peace by living with a peaceable spirit, by by embracing and growing in the fruit of the Spirit. So I ask you, are you growing in Christlikeness? Are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit? 
This is one of the ways in which we spread peace. Now, let me just, uh, let me just, um, let me speak to the men for a moment. Because I, I know that uh, for some men, many of us men, we hear that and we hear, okay, spread peace by being peaceable. Here's the fruit of the Spirit as a definition of how to be peaceable. Are you trying to remove my masculinity? You might not say it out loud, but you, you might be wondering it. No. No. The Word is telling us to redeem our masculinity. Jesus was not effeminate. Jesus was bold and strong. And gentle and meek. All in one package. True masculinity lives in the fruit of the Spirit and seeks peace for the glory of God. Connects to what we heard last week where we heard the call in our speaking to build others up so that we, uh, we speak truth in love. Speak truth in love. Speak, initiate. Truth, embrace. The truth of God's Word. Reconciliation does not minimize truth. Reconciliation is dependent upon truth. In our speaking and clinging to truth, we do so out of a heart of love. That's uh, Lloyd-Jones' practical four-step approach of how we grow in peacemaking. I'd I'd like to add a fifth to his list. I don't, by any stretch of imagination, mean to imply that Lloyd-Jones didn't consider that we should pray, but I'm going to specifically add it as a fifth. Practical portion of our peacemaking that we pray. We pray for those with whom we disagree. You pray for the other person. Because when you pray... For the other person, particularly the person whom you are confronting, you must seek peace. You cannot pray for the other person and seek to win at all costs. When you pray for the other person, you are also acknowledging that if there is to be a peace, it must be the Lord our God who will bring it. Pray for the other person, but also pray for yourself. Pray for a heart to listen to what the Spirit is doing in your own life. Pray for an ability to listen to the truth that is in the other person's words. Pray for Christ-likeness. Pray for the Holy Spirit to be involved in this confrontation. Friends, every Christian... Every Christian is to be a peacemaker, reflecting Christ by actively seeking peace, both in the community and more more specifically in the church. That's our call. It's our call in kingdom conflict. But you heard it as we read verse 9. It's a formula almost throughout the Beatitudes that these Beatitudes also point us to kingdom blessing. And the blessing to be found in verse 9 is the gift of sonship. This week, 
is the week that the Nobel Prizes are being handed out. The Nobel Peace Prize in 2020 was awarded either uh, yesterday or Friday to the UN World Food Hunger Organization. I'm sure they are worthy recipients, but it's hard for me to get my mind around that going to a group. Uh, Last year, 2019, Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed Ali won the Nobel Peace Prize for his work, his initiatives at bringing to a an end, a nearly two decades long war that Ethiopia had been engaging in with their neighboring country, Eritrea. And for his, for his labors, for his initiative, uh, Ahmed Ali was given the recognition. He was given the Nobel Peace Prize. But you see, he was given more than the, the, um, the distinguishing title of a Nobel laureate. He also won the prize. <laughs> Roughly $1 million. Not bad, huh? It's a reward for his efforts. How often do we think about blessings from God as rewards for our efforts. Is that what we mean in verse 9 when we read the word blessed? Each beatitude begins with the word blessed. Blessed are they who? And then it moves on. Now, blessed can mean happy, happiness, And that is certainly appropriate here. And we want to recognize that and the appropriateness of it. Those who are blessed are are happy. But but it means more than a temporal happiness. This, This blessedness speaks to our being in right relationship with God. And those who are in a right relationship with God do not have that right relationship with God as a reward for their efforts They are those who are in Christ. When we confuse that order and think that our blessedness is a reward, we miss the heart of the Gospel. We drive a wedge between these verses and the rest of Scripture. We miss the fact that that no one, no not one, is a righteousness. That all of us have sinned and by virtue of our sin are guilty and no amount of peacemaking will ever reconcile us to the Father because of our sin. That took the peacemaking of another. This word translated as peacemaker is also used in Ephesians 2.15 and Colossians 1.20, not to talk about us, but to speak of Jesus and His effort at peacemaking. He made peace by the blood of His cross. So friends, the peace that we have with God is a peace that has been given to us. 
It is an act of God's grace. He was the offended party and He took the initiative. It is His grace that is given to us whereby we receive the gift of redemption whereby we get, receive the gift of reconciliation, being put in right relationship with God the Father. It's His grace whereby we receive the gift of sonship, where we have a new identity in Christ. Now, that reminder helps us to not reorient the beatitude, but to think about it in a different order so that we get the true meaning. A clearer picture of causality might be found when we think of this verse as blessed are you who are called sons of God, you are the peacemakers. Blessed are you who are called sons of God, you are the peacemakers. Why do I make such a big deal about causality? The causality behind this blessing. Because it means everything. It means everything. It is the essence of the Gospel. The essence of Gospel living. The essence of Gospel communicating. Our peacemaking does not form our identity. Our peacemaking flows out of our identity. That is the Gospel. If your identity is that of a son of God, a daughter of God, then you will spend your life growing into the family likeness. And the Scriptures tell us that our God and Father is a reconciling God. He has initiated a work of redemption and reconciliation with us while we were yet still sinners. And our God and Father will stop at nothing to reconcile those whom He has chosen to love from before the beginning of time, going so far as to send His Son Jesus Christ to die on our behalf. So if you are His, by His gracious, sovereign initiative, If you have been reconciled by Jesus, you have received this gift of His grace through faith. And that faith was even given to you by God. Then, then, out of that identity, you will grow in Christ-likeness. You will grow in the family-likeness. You will be a peacemaker. So be a peacemaker. If you're in Christ, live out of your blessedness. Boldly, humbly, seek peace with your neighbor. Confronting to reconcile and trusting in the Holy Spirit to bring peace. Look, as a church, can we acknowledge and confess that we don't always do this well? And as a church, then, can we commit to pray that the Lord would grow us as peacemakers? As a church, we've identified peace as one of our core values. We describe it this way. 
We pursue authentic relationships reconciled with grace and forgiveness because we have peace with God through Christ. This means that we cling to peace as a value. It means that we seek to grow in peacemaking as a reality. This week I went back and watched on our website the videos that we put together for our vision plan. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. The videos were made by you, and so many of you did such a beautiful job of capturing the very heart of our church vision. In those videos, one of our members described the core value of peace. As he did so, he, he, he captured it so well, uh, describing the world that you and I all long for. You and I, we all long for a world where there is no conflict, no, um, no dissension among peoples, no conflict in, resolution, uh, in, in uh, relationship with spouses, with others. But as we long for that world, what we need to acknowledge is that what we are actually longing for is heaven. That that version of peace will only be experienced in heaven. And so the question then is, what do we do now? Rather than despair, we believe the gospel. Rather than despair, believe the gospel. Because the gospel is both powerful and practical. The gospel secures our relationship with God in Christ, and it gives us a model for our relationships with others through Christ. It provides a model of vulnerability when it comes to sin and a dependence upon Jesus when it comes to reconciliation. So as my friend led us in the video, I close with you. Friends, as Christ has reconciled us to the Father, we can apply the gospel to our relationships so that we might be reconciled to one another. For the glory of God, let us value peace. For the glory of God, let us be peacemakers. Father, we praise you for the peace that you have won through Christ, and ask that you would grow in us the family likeness. That flowing out of the peace that we have been given, we might seek to make peace with one another in this way. Would you bless us and bring glory to yourself? In Christ's name, amen. Let's take.